Art of the Cut is brought to you by FilmTools.com, your one-stop shop for production and post-production gear. Be sure to listen for an exclusive site-wide offer later in the show. Hello and welcome to the Art of the Cut podcast. I'm Steve Hallfish. I'm a feature film editor and discuss the art and craft of film editing with my colleagues in film and TV. In this episode, I'm talking with Hervé Schneid, ACE. Today, we're discussing his editing of the eight-episode Amazon Prime TV series, Zero, Zero, Zero. Hervé has received numerous awards and nominations internationally, including being nominated for a golden reel from the motion picture sound editors for his work on the feature Neruda. He has cut more than 70 films, including Day of the Falcon, The Very Long Engagement, and Amelie which had been nominated for five Oscars. When did you start cutting from film and switching to some kind of NLE? Well, I think as soon as uh, I'm, I'm an old school guy, so it's been quite a while since I'm around. So I did. I started with film, of course, uh, Inversible. Do you say that? Inversible films? Mm-hmm. You know, the one which is uh, going directly from the camera to the cutting uh, yeah. table? Reverse. Uh, so, reverse. Yeah. yeah, reverse, yeah. So, uh, so I started with uh, 35 mil as a, as an assistant, and then uh, that was in Israel a long time ago, and um, then I, w- I came back to France, and then I started to look for work. But that was just impossible at the time, so um, because you had to have a professional card, and in order to have that, you had to have done uh, a film school, which I hadn't done. And uh, so, so I couldn't find a job in, in the uh, feature film industry. So I started to do TV, and that's where I used the reverse film. And uh, doing TV, at one point, um, the um, digital uh, cameras came in, you know, with the uh, BVU and uh, all this kind of stuff. So I, I got, uh, I, I, went, I put my hand on that. And, uh, and then I finally re could work in the film industry, you know, in, in feature films and everything. It took a few years, but uh, I could do it. And then the first Avid, uh, and I started to do commercials. And the first Avid came in Paris. And I was there when they opened the box, and I was the first one to put my hands on it. Uh, so, of course, I used uh, a technician to help me because, you know, it was really something completely different. And I got the first commercial in Paris on, on the Avid. What year was that? So I started right from the beginning. What year was that? Do you remember what, approximately what year that was? Oh, oh, no, no, okay. <laughs> long time, <laughs> long time ago. Uh, well, like, it must have been. I don't know. Avid was introduced in 1988 at NAB. I started cutting on Avid in '92. '92. That was. It seems. It seems it was before. Okay. A ninety right. Well, I, could, I could see. I could. Well, I could find no, out. Ninety, ninety one, ninety two would probably be. Yeah, a, well, that's that's around this because uh, uh, the first film I cut with uh, the first feature I cut with Avid was, I think, the Tango Lesson, mm-hmm. and that was ninety three or something. So, uh, so you know, it must have been a bit before. It was great. And uh, it was tough at the beginning because, of course, you know, you're used to a system, you, you, you master it, you, you love it, and then everything is put, you know, it's a mess. <laughs> Change everything. And, uh, but then, then you get used to it and I wouldn't 
for nothing go back to film. You know, I just, when I look at the films I've cut in 35 mil, I just wonder how it was possible. Do you think uh, your technique, like if you had had to cut a film in 35 and a film on Avid, that the style of editing or that the choices you would make would be different? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure because I, I tend to apply to the uh, digital way of cutting the way I had uh, developed with film. So I always try to think before doing, which is the most important That's a thing. Crazy, a crazy idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, some people think it's crazy. Yeah. Because, you know, the Apple Z. Mm-hmm has done a lot of uh, bad things to uh, to editing, but it's very good at the same time if you master it in the, in the right way. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you just do uh, without thinking about the consequences, then you just do for doing, which is not uh, the right way to do it, I think. You know, I try to think first. And then, of course, Apple Z is very convenient <laughs> to, to change your cut or your direction, but... Um, shouldn't be used as a, you know, you know it exists so you can you can do whatever. I try not to do whatever. I completely respect that, uh, that approach. Uh, let's talk a little bit about um, this uh, TV show we're talking about, Zero, Zero, Zero. Um, can you tell me how you got involved in this show? Yeah, I was uh, called, I received a phone call from the director, Stefano Solima. He had called me uh, about a year before, to uh, to cut Soldado, the uh, the feature he did uh, in Los Angeles, and uh, the Sicario, yes, yeah, Sicario Two was Soldado, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, it was really exciting, and uh, I loved the script, and uh, the guy really attracted me very much, uh, so I said yes, but then then I was in in the middle of a very big personal uh, turmoil, so uh, so I had to say no. And I had to, to 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 say to call Stefano and tell him, ah, Stefano, I'm sorry, you know, my wife is uh, starting to shoot a first feature film as a director. Mm. I'm producing it, and it's gonna be in Kazakhstan. So I can't let her go by herself, and you know. So I'm sorry. I have to choose love <laughs> and go with her. And he said, okay, okay. And then I was sure I never will hear anything about him anymore. You know, when you say no to a director, then usually you're not called again. And a year later, he called me to, uh, to cut zero zero. So, so I couldn't say no, <laughs> but no, that's a joke. I mean, the script was great and, and the guy is terrific. So, uh, so it was great. Plus I went for a year in Rome to do that. So that was sure the cherry on the cake. Yeah, so that's where the, the the editing was done, was in Rome. Yeah. I started in Paris and then for two months while they were still shooting, and then we moved everything to uh, to Rome. Uh, I loved the slow burn of the opening, that first episode. It takes its time. It lets it reveal itself to you. It doesn't lead the audience. It doesn't make sure the audience knows everything. Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but Stefano is really... Uh, someone special he's really a master i mean he's uh, he's a great director and he he does things you know he knows what he's doing and it's very reassuring when you are facing such a big amount of rushes 
and because the, the, I had a lot of material, they were shooting, you know, like like for an American uh, blockbuster, really. Mm. I had about 60 hours for each episode. So so it's a big ratio. Mm-hmm. And he knows he knows where it goes. So it's very, very, very reassuring and very good. How can you see the director's control over the material when you're watching Rushes? Of course, I didn't know Stefano beforehand. I just had a few phone calls with him and we talked a little bit about, about the thing. But, uh, but, you know, it transpires from the Rushes. You see what he's looking for. You see the difference in the takes as the takes go by. You see what is improved, what he's looking for. You understand this. So you can uh, deduct what he's looking for. Did you read the book? I understand this is a, based on a book. I didn't want to because it's two different things, you know. And it happened several times for me before because I did a few films which were adapted from books. And I didn't want to read the books before if I hadn't read them before. Because, you know, obviously it's another thing. The director takes the, the story and makes it his. And you don't want to, to be distracted by somebody else's vision. You want the director's vision. So I read the book afterwards. Did uh, Stefano say what uh, had made him call you? Like what, what he'd watched of yours that he respected or liked? Well, we never talked a lot about this. We just uh, just respected my curriculum, you know. The cold open on this is 20 minutes long, which is pretty unusual, right? <laughs> to have yes. the credits. Yeah, we ask ourselves a lot of questions about this long introduction before the uh, main titles, yeah. It came in, the titles I thought came in in a place that made a, a lot of sense, but it was 20 minutes before you saw the titles. Yeah. Yeah, it was Stefano's decision. Yes, but yeah. scripted that way? Scripted that way? Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. You told me a little bit about the schedule. So how long, you did five episodes? The beginning I was planned to, uh, to make all of them, the eight ones. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, I realized quite quickly that it was just going to be impossible. Of course, the scale of, of the series was much bigger than everything which was done before by Katleya. Katleya is a big production company. They have made a lot of uh, series, but none of them were as bold as this one. Ambitious. Yeah, ambitious, bold and cinematographic, you know. So they shot a lot. It took a long time, and uh, but first I was I was supposed to be the only editor, and I just had uh, one assistant, one editor, and one assistant to to deal with all this material. And it was just impossible. So I quickly realized that uh, it was going to be impossible for me. So uh, I asked to have two assembly editors being hired to to help me. You know, going through all these rushes, we discussed together, and I gave directions, and they just cleaned things for me. And then I would take everything back and redo everything mainly and uh, adapt it to, to my, my taste. But then we saw that even like this, it was impossible to reach the schedule. So I offered an, an Argentinian editor would come to do the uh, Pablo Trapero's uh, last three episodes because they had worked together before. So it seemed to be a very convenient uh, solution. Although a lot of the material of the last three episodes were cut already. That's what I found was complicated uh, because this is my first series. So it's a very big change uh, if you compare to the way I work with uh, a feature film. You know, you have, you know, I, I find very convenient the, uh, 
different state of mind you have when you cut a film. You receive the rushes and then you, you just look at the rushes, you choose, you make your first choice, your first assembly. And then when you have the big picture, then you realize where are the problems and what can be arranged and shortened and everything. So, so you go into fine cut process with the direct, I mean, first with the director and then the fine cut. At the same time, you do some sound and music and, you know, but you switch from climbing the mountain, you know, having all these little rocks and then, you know, one by one, you know, you do, you do your stuff. But here with a uh, Siri, then you get, uh, you get to do everything at the same time because you have rushes for an episode and then you're fine cutting another one and you're editing the music for another episode and you're doing sound for another one. So it's just, it's a mess. I mean, <laughs> your head just explodes, you know, it's, it's really, uh, it's an, a, a very different exercise. Uh, you mentioned that you were the only editor with one assistant at the beginning. Um, the other thing that you were looking at the credits was the music editor, which is a huge job as well. Yeah, that's something I really love to do. On this occasion, that was really perfect because it started very early because uh, we had uh, this discussion with, uh, with Stefano very early and he, he was asking me about uh, who would I see as uh, composers uh, for this film. And I gave him a few names and inside were, was Mogwai because, you know, it's very dark, it's very electronic, it's very oppressive. It was uh, one of his uh, three choices. So, so it took five minutes to say, okay, let's, let's go with Mogwai. So I could work a little bit uh, with uh, existing themes uh, from them. And I had worked with them on a previous film before, uh, on the film about uh, Zidane. It was an art film about uh, Zinedine Zidane. And I love their music. And it's really, it's fantastic. I really love them. But it was really good to cut the music because they're not film composers, you know. They're a band. They do incredible themes and they play it for hours, you know. And then you have to adapt them to the, uh, to the image. So mm. it's, uh, it's a fantastic job. I love it. Yeah, so you knew who was going to be the composer, so it was easier to yeah. temp then? Were you oh, temping yeah. all with them? Oh. Absolutely, absolutely. We did uh, two things. We we, cho we chose a few uh, themes, existing themes, with uh, Stefano, and uh, and very early we were in contact with them, and they, they kept on uh, sending pieces, and I I would put them and give them directions, you know, according to the scenes where they were supposed to go. My sense of the music was that it was not leading the audience in any way. Like a lot of music, it's telling you, oh, you should fall in love with this girl, you know, <laughs> or whatever it is. I don't think the music should be, I mean, there's no rule. I mean, sometimes you have to do it, but it shouldn't go with the picture. It should say something else, you know, it's uh, either the opposite <laughs> or mm -hmm. something connected to what's happening, but not in an obvious way, I think, in order to be interesting. But it, it's different each time, so, you know. While we're on the topic of uh, sound and music, I noticed that you also have a, a Golden Reel nomination for your sound editing. Um, uh -huh. Talk to me about how your music editing, which you do on almost every film, it looked like from your filmography, and your sound editing, how they, that informs your picture editing. I think sound is very, very important. Sound and music, of course, but sound is paramount to, uh, to a film. you know. And in all my cutting copies, you know, very early one, I try to, to have a, a good sound. I mean, the sound which is saying what's happening because sometimes, you know, it 
the information doesn't come through the image, but through the sound. And the complexity of the situation can be said with a specific sound at a specific moment. So I really work a lot on the sound and I give a lot of uh, very precise directions to the sound editors. Of course, I love to work with the uh, very often the same sound editors whom I know and appreciate and, and we know each other very well and we know exactly how to work. And we work together and uh, very often in a next room of mine, you know, so, so I go to their room, they come to my room, I show them the, the piece, what I think, they show me what they're doing. You know, it's an, a big exchange. The sound editors are your choice to bring them onto the team? Yeah, yeah, it's my team. But it's never against the uh, director's opinion, but usually directors, they don't, you know, fight for a sound editor, you know, so I trust you. It's never imposing, you know, I'm yeah. just uh, I'm offering names, you know. You know how you're going to have to work with them. Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's very unusual the way you did it. Normal, uh, the, the first five episodes, normally uh, you'd be switching back and forth. You know, I'll cut the first episode and someone else cuts the second episode to kind of break things up. But, but as you said, you were trying to cut the whole thing. Yeah, because, you know, they, they didn't shoot in order, you know, as it is... Uh, shot in five different continents, you know. So uh, depending on where they are for the shoot, you receive the material and it goes on episode one and five and six and two and, you know. So uh, so when the material comes, then you uh, you, you cut it, try mm-hmm. to, to do that. But, you know, that's at the beginning. Then very soon you are overwhelmed with the, the amount of material, <laughs> so you go in order. <laughs> yeah. Was there any thought of... Um, breaking up the breaking up the stories more than that they were because they're in, to, told in fairly big chunks of here's Italy for twenty minutes and then here's America for twenty minutes and here's Mexico for twenty minutes. Yeah, that was uh, a very strong decision. Uh, when you are in a place, you don't switch to another one. You don't come back to a previous place in the same episode. Mm. It was, you know, some kind of a philosophy of the, of, the, of the show. When you're in Italy, you stay in Italy and then you go to Mexico or America, but you don't come back to Italy in the same episode. Got it. In the very first episode, there's a little bit of nonlinear storytelling. Can you talk about, was that exactly as scripted or did you find a moment or how, how are those time jumps handled? Well, everything was written. But you know how it is, you know, it's, uh, it's written in a way and then when you get the material, you do it the way it's written and then it might work perfectly at times and sometimes, well, it doesn't really work as it was planned. So you find another way of doing it. But respecting the, uh, the concept, very often moving things about around and maybe starting later or earlier, you know, but, you know, adapting to, uh, to the concept. But it was written and it was planned like this. How many languages do you speak? Well, not that many. Well, French, English, Spanish, uh, now a bit of Italian, of course, because, you know, after a year in Rome, it it helps. And, well, a bit of Hebrew and uh, very small Russian. Does that uh, knowledge of those languages help you as you're editing in those languages? Because there's, it's in Spanish and it's in Italian and it's in English. Of course it helps. Of course it helps. But... I've cut a lot of uh, things in languages I didn't speak. So uh, as long as you have a, a script in English or French or in the language you command, 
it's okay. Uh, the repetition helps you uh, quite a lot, except when it's in a very, very different language as yours, you know, like Chinese or Japanese. This is quite complicated because mm-hmm. you can't really, it's not the same music. But if you follow the music of language, which is not far away from yours, then it's no problem. Of course, yeah. it takes a little bit longer and uh, you have to check with, uh, you have to have an assistant who speaks the language. You have to check if you don't cut in the middle. I mean, if you don't lose a syllable or something, but it's, uh, but as long as the music is good, it's no problem to, uh, to understand the uh, interpretation. I mean, the, uh, the actuation of, uh, of an actor. I mean, you know if the delivery is good or not, you know, even if you don't speak the language, you feel it. It's so interesting that you're talking about this as music because that's what I always think about with the differences between languages is the specific rhythms of French compared to Amer- you know, English, American English, or French compared to Italian or Spanish, the rhythmic quality of it. Sure, but everything is about rhythm, Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the rhythms of the language. And also they say that if you're a good singer, you're b- a better speaker of another language. Have you heard that? No, never. <laughs> but I mean, you know, having an ear obviously helps. I have this, uh, this story about uh, ear and languages. You know, I did a film a few years ago called uh, East-West. Uh, it was directed by Regis Varnier, who did... Uh, Adoshin, who got the Oscar for Best Feature Film, Foreign Feature Film, a long time ago. So East-West was a story set in, uh, in USSR. And uh, there was this uh, amazing Russian actor, Oleg Menshikov. And he had a big part of uh, his lines in French because he was married in the film to a French girl. So he had to speak French for quite a long Long, long lines, really long lines. And he didn't speak a word of French. And he learned, I mean, he's a very good musician, very good pianist, and he learned everything by ear. And it was just amazing looking at the, at the, the takes, the rushes, I mean, long takes with a lot of lines. And it was just perfect, perfect French. And he didn't understand, I mean, he understood because he had the translation, but he didn't know how to speak. It was just amazing. So ear, and languages, they go together, that's for sure. We'll be back in a moment with more of my interview with Hervé Schneid. Today's episode of the Art of the Cut podcast is brought to you by FilmTools.com. Since 1996, FilmTools has been Hollywood's one-stop shop for all things production and post. No matter your filmmaking needs, FilmTools has you covered when you need gear for your next shoot or edit. This week, Film Tools is offering Art of the Cut listeners 10% off thousands of products when shopping on FilmTools.com. All you have to do is enter code AOTC10 at checkout. That's AOTC10 at checkout to get 10% off your purchase on FilmTools.com. So whether you need a GTEC hard drive or an Airy Sky panel, make sure to head over to FilmTools.com and check out with discount code AOTC10 to get 10% off your next equipment purchase. And now back to my interview with Hervé Schneid. Tell me a little bit about kind of the pacing of these scenes and how they might have changed once you saw things in context, because it felt like almost some of the different countries had their own pace to them. The Italian is almost Godfather-esque, but then the Mexico scenes have uh, a totally different energy to them. 
yeah, it's a much, much more frantic uh, ambience, you know. Mm-hmm. Mexico, I thought, was the, the, uh, an incredible place. I mean, it's so cinematographic, you know. Everything, everywhere you put your camera, it's beautiful. The people are great. I mean, it's so much alive. It's incredible. I, I love Spanish and I love Mexico. I did a film, uh, a Mexican film a few years ago. And I really enjoyed it so much. I mean, although, of course, the theme was very tough and violent and everything, but it's, uh, it's a great country, great country. So, of course, yeah, the rhythm changes from one location to another because it's not the same characters. The action is not the same. You adapt to, um, to what you show. And more than you, it's not you who adapt. It's the film. The film gets uh, is is its own life. You know, its own rhythm. You just have to to follow it. You know, understand it and follow it. That's the way I try to uh, follow. Is there a trick to making that transition from one pace to another, or is it like a an aria or a symphony where it has movements? There's no trick. I I, I yeah no I have no trick. <laughs> the, the only the only trick is the uh, Walter Moss uh, trick, you know, the, the blinking eye. I, I love this. <laughs> it is something that uh, everybody has done forever, and he has managed to theorize it, you know. And it's it's wonderful. I love it. Mm. I love it. But it's so true, you know. I mean, I don't understand when I see uh, people still cutting in uh, blinking people. I mean, it's just uh, I don't get it. So so obvious, <laughs> but but a lot of what you were cutting, uh, there, were, there were definitely dialogue scenes. But a lot of what you were cutting is uh, couldn't have been guided by blinks. They're no uh, well, big. I'm not talking about yeah. I'd, you know, I'm talking yeah. you're talking about tricks. You know, it's a little trick. Yeah. I just yeah. cut before the blink, and that's it. You know? Yeah, but yeah. yeah, no tricks. There's no tricks. Well, yeah. Uh, let me let me reword that. Was there any consideration when you had cut all your Italian, because it all probably comes, all the rushes came in at the same time for that. Then you've got all this uh, stuff from Mexico. When you butted them together, when you finally were able to put Italy with Mexico or, or America with Mexico or, or any of those, did you have to make changes to the pace around that transition to make the transition smoother? Not really, not really. But of course, I mean, the first cut is too long, you know, always. So, uh, but the structure really, it doesn't change much. I tried, I spent quite a, a long time having my first cut. I'm not very, very fast for my first cut, but usually my first cut is not far away from the final one. Of course, we cut things and we change things and we have notes at the end, you know, and obviously there are changes. But the, uh, the global thing, the choice of takes and the uh, the structure of each scene doesn't change much. Talk to me about the process. It was something that I really had to learn was no, no matter how hard you try to get that first cut great, just by seeing things in context, it changes how the film goes from your original cut or even your original scenes before the assembly to a final realization of those scenes. What I usually do is to, to cut one scene, then I try to cut the uh, the next one if I have it, you know, and go chronologically. If I can't, I just wait to have, uh, to fill the holes. You know, I, I usually do an assembly with a missing scene card in between the scenes, and I build as, as I go. 
And when I have everything, I always try to, uh, anyway, when I insert a scene, I always try to, to make the connection correct, you know, to make it work with the previous and the next one. There's a bit of, a, of work here. And then, um, of course, when I start a, a, a scene, when I have the previous one or the last one, I think of how the previous scene ends in order to start correctly the new one or changing the end of the previous one to start the new scene as I want to, uh, as I want it to start. And then, of course, when I have uh, everything, I rework, when I have the two scenes together, I rework a bit to have them, uh, you know, going together well. And I keep on doing this until I have a complete assembly. And then, of course, most of the, uh, the big things are, are, are done. But then you can, you know, start to think of what you're taking out, what informations you have uh, doubled or tripled, you know, and what can you take out? Because strangely, taking out is adding, <laughs> you know. <laughs> the trick is to feel the moment where if you add a little bit more, then you lose a lot of things. Uh, and when you were editing, you were always editing in Italy, even if they were shooting in Mexico? Yeah. As I said, I started in Paris, then I went to Italy for a year, and then I finished in, in Paris because I couldn't stay more than a year. Uh, were you sending individual scene cuts back to Stefano, or were you, um, was he, were you waiting for him to see everything at the end? <clears throat> no, I, ne I nearly never sent anything. A few times he asked, he asked for a quick uh, first cut of, uh, of a scene where he had questions. So I did that, but, uh, you know, there were usually were in places where the internet connection was not good at all, if existing. So no, I think he trusted uh, everything which, which was happening. So we waited until he came back to, uh, to have him in the cutting room and see everything. How were you getting the rushes? Was it all internet? Was that all internet based or? No, I think they were sending discs because of the internet connections, which was, which were not very good. When you're editing in your cutting room, are you cutting in LC, you know, left, center, right, or 5-1, or just stereo? Putting all the dialogues centered, and all the while the, the atmosphere, the effects, and everything in stereo. Mm -hmm. But it's just uh, left, center, right, yeah. Because some people are starting to move to 5-1. Is that something that you feel like you need to do, or too much work? Or No, I think there's no, no need for that. Really no need for that. Because, you know, it's just for giving an impression, you know, feel comfortable with the sound. Then you have, you know, very talented people who do that much better than I do and uh, who have time for that because, you know, it, it's time consuming. If you start working in 5.1, then uh, it's complicated. I mean, very often you, you have problems to get a, a wild atmosphere for one specific scene. So if you want to have it in 5.1 and then balance the rear loudspeakers, you know, it's getting really complicated. You need more time for that. When you get dailies in, how do you watch them and what are you doing? I started on this, uh, on this series to do like this. Before that, I was looking at everything. You know, I got the rushes, I look at everything. I have my assistant put them in order, if it's possible, in order of the scene, and I look at everything. And I pay a lot of attention because the first time you look at the material is the, the moment where you get the best, you know, feeling of it. 
you know, you respond to what is really good, what is not very good. You have to trust your intuition, your feeling, uh, you know, your skin level, I mean, of response. It's very important. And I try to remember this. The first impression I have, I try to remember it when I, uh, when I start to cut. But then on this one, as I had a lot of material, uh, in order to get uh, an idea of the scene, I looked at one chosen take for each setup. And then I start again and look at everything. So I know what I'm expecting and what I'm looking for. And then I make choices, which could be multiple. You know, I don't choose one specific moment only. I take a few ones, except if it's really striking. If one really touches me, I, I go for it. But I, I, I tend to have a, not a very short choice number one, because I know it's something I will come back to it to, uh, quite often. So if I have more choice, I, I would feel more comfortable uh, later instead of going back to the rushes. So from my first choice, either I do a second choice or I start to cut. And uh, very often I, I try to articulate my scene on either the, uh, the beginning. I mean, it's like a domino uh, party, a domino play. You know, I mean, one shot brings you to another. You know, if it's a, a framing thing or a response to a wide shot, you want to go a very close shot in order to, to have a big uh, shock. Mm -hmm. You know, so, uh, so I tend to build my scene like this. But as I say, always not thinking too much, just feeling, trying to feel. And I, I try to, to put myself in all the characters. I'm each and every one, and every one of the characters of the scene. So I just, I'm, that's how I do my choices. I, Trying you know, to be empathetic. I'm them. So, okay, so I'm yeah. him. Uh, in this situation, uh, what, what should be my response? So, I, you know, that's the, way, uh, that's the way I choose. When you were talking about having your uh, assistant um, put together the things in order, so it sounds like they make what some people call a chem roll. So they put everything in a sequence for you that goes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a sequence, yeah. Do you edit from that? Do you put that in your source monitor and use that as a source? Yeah, a source to, to do my choice. And when you're using that chem roll, the uh, sequence of, of all the selects, do you put locators in or are you just remembering the things that meant something to you? It depends on, on the amount of, of material and it, it depends on the length of the takes. I try not to use that many locators because I... I love when it's neat and it becomes mm -hmm. very messy very often. So, uh, yeah. so I try to do, to, I do my choices. I do other sequences, you know, from this rushes assembly, let's say, and I go to a choice number one and then, you know, it's much reduced and then maybe a choice number two, which is even more reduced. But then that's the beauty of uh, digital. I mean, it's so fast to go from one take to another you know you can scroll on this and you you remember i think my memory is about uh visual i um, more with my eyes than with anything else since you have such a strong sound background 
do you have a, a choice to build visually first or are you doing a little of everything or are you building sound first? How is the interplay between you cutting a visual timeline and an audio timeline working? It depends very much on uh, on the scenes and on the films. It's never the same. I don't have a technique which I apply, you know, strictly each time. So I adapt myself. But what I usually do is I, I cut the image and you know, I, I pay attention to the sound, but, uh, you know, the, uh, the minimum, the basic one. And then when I finish the first cut, then I do a little bit of sound to dress it a little bit without having too many tracks because it's, it's a mess to have too many tracks. So I try to reduce the tracks and have everything in a few audio tracks. Did you have to deliver everything at the same time or were you, did you have the benefit of getting through five episodes and then being able to see, oh, if I tweak this in episode one, it would pay off more in episode five? We had to deliver one and two first. But one and two are, are very different, I think, because they are exposing the characters and the, the, the way we play it. And they're very heavy, let's say. I mean, a lot of things are happening. So we did one and two. Three, I think, was not quite completed before I had finished five, four and five. Mm, I don't remember quite well because it was a bit of a mess, you know, because they had to stop the shoot because, uh, because of problems and uh, what was missing was missing, not at the end, but in the middle. So, um, so I had to go, to go forward. But then we started again, you know, uh, I, when I finished uh, Stefano's first two episodes, then I went with uh, Janusz Schmetz for three, four, five, and then we, we went in order. When you are collaborating with a director or how you deal with collaborating when a director's in the room with you finally? Well, I think it's the most interesting thing of all, you know, the uh, connection with the director. Usually they are great people, you know, sometimes complicated, but, uh, you know, great people. So I really love directors. I think most of the... Uh, the work of an editor is to uh, to have this human relationship more than you know cutting you know it's not much you know you just uh, <laughs> you just uh, play with them it's the best video game ever anyway so <laughs> <laughs> you just enjoy yourself but uh, what what is really interesting is uh, the relationship with not only the directors but uh, the assistants uh, the, the producers and everything you know because it's a very solitary work. But at the same time, you meet so many people, you know, and everybody is so important for the uh, final result. So the rule, if, if there's any, um, is to f put your ego in the cupboard, you know, and forget about it. You know, no ego in a cutting room because otherwise it's hell. So forget your ego and uh, just understand that you have, uh, even if directors look, you know, very strong and very powerful. They are so fragile uh, animals, you know, and you have to know when to say things and when not to say them, you know, but always say what you think. That's, that's my motto. You know, I just, uh, I never shut myself. Mm -hmm. I've done a bunch of teaching and leave your ego at home is the number one rule for me. Ah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. This is so true. You know. I want to hear more about that relationship. So you're talking about how exposed the director is, trying to build trust with them. How, when you have a new director, like Stefano is a new director for you, mm -hmm. how did you start to build that relationship and learn how each other worked and what was going to yield the best results? 
comes naturally, you know, you know that you're not here by chance, you know, he chose you. So he respects you and you know that. And of course you respect him because, you know, I saw his films and I saw uh, what he's done and, and I love the way he's uh, expressing what he wants to do. So the trust is here. And then you have, you know, it's like uh, dogs meeting, you know, just sniff <laughs> and you just, uh, you know, try to find your way. Where is your territory? It comes with, with, with time. And sometimes there are problems, you know, and uh, well, you discuss them and that's no problem. For someone with uh, such a great storied career as you, I think of your talent as an editor, but also that human interaction that you don't continue to work if people don't like working with you. Yeah, well, you know, you don't want to be where you're not wanted. (laughs) (laughs) How long were you working with Stefano? Uh, Like, what was the schedule like, at least with him or or all five episodes? You said it was over a year or it was a year in in Italy and then two months before and two months after? Months in total. 16 months. Including the uh, the mix, which was quite quick, but uh, and the sound the sound crew was fantastic on this one. They worked so quickly and so well. I was really astonished. My my idea of the uh, Italian sound uh, film industry was not very good, and I have to say that uh, I was really impressed. Really impressed. Uh, very great uh, locations, good material, and very great people. How does it? vary from country to country. Like you were saying, oh, I didn't have a very good impression of the sound in Italy, for example, but now you do. You know, I think each country has its uh, characteristic. Yeah, England, for example, is, is a very special place because they're English. I mean, so they're coming from another planet. <laughs> I have to say, I mean, it's, uh, I love them. I spent, I spent, I don't know, maybe four or five years in, in London in total cutting English films, but it's another world. They have their way of working, very calm and peaceful, and it's very British. I love it. I love it. Americans are different, but it's interesting everywhere. Something which I really enjoyed all along my career was to to go abroad, you know, working in different countries, because especially in editing, I mean, you are in the middle of things. You work a long time. You stay a long time with people in places, so you... You know the country, the way they think, the way they speak, the way they work. And I, I think it's very enriching. Well, I really enjoyed talking to you. Uh, it, it's wonderful. You hit, you shed some great light on uh, your process. We editors are, you know, isolated. We are doing things by ourselves, you know, having our own problems, which we think are unique. And when you read interviews with other editors, you realize that everybody has the same, we all are the same, you know, (laughs) everybody has the same problems, find the same solutions, you know, have the same thoughts about things. It's great to realize that you're not alone. But there are, there are differences. For example, um, one of the things that uh, we could talk about is that uh, some people watch the rushes backwards, for example. I don't know if you've heard that. Backwards? Yeah, they really? watch. Well, not, you know, so that the words are backwards, but they'll watch, if there's eight takes, they'll watch take eight first, then seven, oh, right. then okay. six. Yeah. They watch yeah, them well, in reverse order. Yeah, well, that, that can be done depending on the director. I mean, if, if you know the director and if you know that the best takes are the last ones, which is not the case all the time. So you can do that, of course. It's different. Early in the interview, you mentioned that you let you could see where the 
the progression of the takes was going as the director directed. Like, oh, I see how it's changing. So a lot of people want to see the end result and then go back and watch kind of the 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 de-evolution of the... Yeah, yeah, the that's what I did in a way uh, with uh, zero, zero, 0, looking at one take for each setup. And usually it was the last one, of course. Yeah, the circled take probably. Yeah. Of, uh, but yeah, often the last take. And Walter Murch had a very, another very interesting... Uh, thing that he pointed out which was it's not the last take it's always it's almost always the second to last take is the best one that's his theory sure because when you're on the set you just uh, you and you shouldn't pay attention to the circle uh, to the chosen takes because you never know why it was chosen on the set maybe right. it was just to reassure the actor you know mm-hmm. or to uh, you know so it's so uh, so i rarely look at the uh, script notes yeah, <laughs> I have to yep. say, I just uh, trust what I see, trust because what you see, what you see right. on the set is not what is on the on the uh, on the film. You know, it's very different. It it takes another life in the when when it is shot. Yep, and so. the, the the director is also guided by the way they feel at the moment, or how easily the setup happened, or some fight Absolutely. that they had with the gaffer. And, and that's why I don't like to go on the set because I don't want to be influenced by what's happening while shooting. You know, because you always remember that uh, this shot was great. You know, it was fantastic. The atmosphere was great. Everybody loved it when we, when you did it, when we did it. It was very easy. It was great. It's a great shot. And you look at the shots, if you don't know anything, but you say, well, it's not that great, you know. And the one which was so tough to do and everybody was such in, in a pain at the end of the, of the shoot is fantastic. But nobody saw it because it was so tough to do. So it's one of the uh, role of the editor to be the first spectator of the film and to help the director to realize that, you know, because it's very complicated to take distance with the material you've shot. So, um, so that's why I don't want to go to the set. Although it's, it's kind of uh, interesting, very boring most of the time because nothing mm. happens, but very interesting. I mean, you, you meet the actors, you are in the, in the heart of the, uh, of the action, but the action is in the cutting room. And on that great note, Hervé, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a good time. That's it for Out of the Cut this week. Thanks for listening. Also, check out ProVideoCoalition.com for nearly 250 interviews with the world's top editors. Or read the book, Art of the Cut, Conversations with Film and TV Editors for a topic-driven, curated experience. Thanks again to my guest, Hervé Schneid, ACE. If this is a podcast that you got something out of, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at at Steve Hallfish. I hope you subscribe to this podcast and give it a review, please. And finally, be sure to share them with a filmmaking or film-loving friend.